United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. The situation has gotten much worse in a border dispute between Azerbaijan and Armenia. This is not something that's new, by the way. This has been around for much, for many, many years. But the latest development shows that hundreds of fighters from Syrian militias have joined with Turkey in this fight over this uh, disputed bit of territory. Hundreds more are preparing to go. That, according to two Syrians involved in the effort. That's a report from the Wall Street Journal this morning. This is a developing story, but it is one that requires some context, and it also has some important consequences for us in the U.S. That's why we're pleased that Ann Phillips can join us this morning. Ann Phillips, Ph.D., Senior Advisor of the Nagorno-Karabakh Project at the U.S. Institute of Peace, is joining us. Twitter handle is at USIP. Ann Phillips, welcome. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Tell us more, first of all, about the dispute. I mean, it's, as I mentioned, decades old. This particular territory, Nagorno-Karabakh, maybe you can help us understand what is at the root of the conflict between these two countries. Well, uh, this is a legacy of the Soviet system. Nagorno-Karabakh was set up as an autonomous oblast within the Soviet system, but located within the Republic of the Soviet Socialist Republic of uh, Azerbaijan. And when the Soviet Union began to unravel, the Armenians in Karabakh um, requested a change of jurisdiction from the Soviet leader Gorbachev uh, in about 1987. This, I, it's important to note also that Nagorno-Karabakh was multi-ethnic. There were Armenians, largely Armenians, but also some 20-plus percent of, Azerbaij- of Azeris living there, as well as Greeks, Russians, and Kurds. So it has a multi-ethnic heritage. But as I said, with the um, unraveling of the Soviet Union, the Armenians wanted to change their status. And important to note also with the implosion of the Soviet Union, then all the rules, norms, and incentives that have governed public life were no longer there. So at this time, politicians, new and old politicians, reverted to nationalism to win public support. Intellectuals joined in, power structures and interests became linked to ethnicity, and this led to growing insecurity uh, in both Armenia and Azerbaijan with Nagorno-Karabakh as a focal point. You know, I'm not sure that it is a parallel, but I'm reminded of Yugoslavia when Joseph Tito was was the, the dictator, and upon his death we saw the unraveling of what had been uh, you know, fractionally a united country, and in this particular case, as you say, with the Soviet Union disappearing. But there are still connections to Russia, and there are also connections to Turkey, which is on the border. And And it seems to me that these unusual alliances are complicating things even more and also making it fraught with possible disaster for the U.S. Good points. And, and your parallel with Yugoslavia is perfectly apt, uh, where the rise of nationalism became the mobilizing force. Uh, in in the vacuum, as it were, created by the implosion of that country. Uh, yes, and certainly a major change has occurred in the, in uh, Turkey's stronger involvement in the past. It's always had good relations with Azerbaijan. Turks and Azeris are closely related ethnically and linguistically, but Turkey has really supported Azerbaijan's efforts 100 plus percent in its efforts to regain territory that it lost to Armenia in the 1992-94 
uh, major war. And also Armenia at that time, as a result of that war, uh, Armenian forces took control of Nagorno-Karabakh as well. So Russia is certainly involved. Russia has good relations with both Armenia and Azerbaijan, but it has a security agreement with Armenia. Uh, You will note that the security agreement, however, does not apply to Nagorno-Karabakh. So the Azeri forces have been very careful up to perhaps today um, in not attacking Armenia proper because that security arrangement with between or security partnership between Armenia and Russia is not activated unless Armenia proper is, is attacked. And that has not happened until recently. There were reports today that Azeri, uh, Azeris had struck missile sites in Armenia, which Azerbaijan argues are responsible for uh, missile attacks on civilians in in Azeri uh, towns near the border area, including Ganja, which is the largest uh, city in the second largest city in Azerbaijan, and it's about a hundred kilometers from the the conflict area proper. <clears throat> To make it even more complicated, and for those who are not quite familiar, Turkey is just to the west of Armenia. Armenia is between Turkey and Azerbaijan. Of course, we get that little thing, the Armenian genocide, which they have never resolved. But that is the the geographical makeup. Armenia and Azerbaijan both share a border with Iran. Syria is not far away now. They're evidently involved in this as well. Of course, the United States has its NATO alliance with Turkey, and the United States and Russia, or whatever the two are, what are the special concerns that we should have relative to U.S. involvement, not just the fact that the region could explode and there could be more people piling onto the alliances, but what, where, where's the United States' interest in all of this? Well, there are two, two areas, I think two important points. One, of course, Turkey is a NATO ally, and should Russian forces attack Turkey, there's no indication that either Russia or Turkey wants to uh, expand the conflict, escalate the conflict, and have direct military engagement one with the other. But should Russian forces attack Turkish forces, which, by the way, are not yet directly involved in the fighting, they've provided support, then, of course, Turkey could invoke Article 5, and NATO would have to make a decision about supporting Turkey. And the ramifications of not supporting Turkey or supporting Turkey are enormous for the viability of the alliance itself. Um, The U.S. is also a part of the Minsk Group, which was established in 1994 by the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe to provide a pathway, provide a framework for the two parties to reach a durable peace. The U.S. is one of three co-chairs, along with Russia and France. So the United States government has assumed some responsibility for helping to resolve, helping the two parties to resolve this conflict, which, as you pointed out before, has been simmering and ebbing and flowing ever since the implosion of the Soviet Union. My last question, is it best for the U.S. right now to wait and see? Are there efforts, do you think, underway to do anything to try to help negotiate a peace? Or is this something that we just sort of stay out of until there's a closer, uh, more of a sense of resolution? Well, the U.S., uh, Russia, and France, as co-chairs of the Minsk Group, have all issued cause for cessation of hostilities, 
for both parties to return to the negotiating table. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo issued a statement uh, yesterday, I believe, again calling for this and also uh, affirming that both parties need to adhere to their responsibility to protect civilian lives in this conflict. They have a responsibility uh, to do this, and civilians on both sides have been killed. So I uh, think the, the U.S. has good relations with both Armenia and Azerbaijan, as, and so could serve as an important co-chair in kind of an honest broker role in helping to bring the parties back to a uh, peaceful, first a ceasefire, and then hopefully negotiations that will lead to a durable peace. It is not something that's getting a lot of headlines, but it is worthy of the discussion, and I'm glad you could join us today. Ann Phillips, thanks for being on POTUS. Thank you very much. Ann Phillips, Ph.D. Senior Advisor of the Nagorno-Karabakh Project, the U.S. Institute of Peace. That is the border dispute between Armenia and Azerbaijan over that key territory. Some thoughts about why we should be interested, concerned, perhaps, about what's going on. The Twitter handle is at USIP. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.